This is Warner Lewis, and welcome to another edition of Lewis at Large, smart talk and conversation with talented people from all walks of life. A reminder to subscribe to these Lewis at Large podcasts, go to Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. And if you like the podcast, hey, let others know about it. For context, my conversation with Ravi Shankar occurred in October of 2021. Well, welcome, everybody, to yet another segment of Lewis at Large. Yours truly, Warner Lewis, as always. Uh, say it with me from the flight deck. And, of course, that means some smart talk and conversation is in your future. And uh, this segment, uh, very pleased to have with us for the very first time, uh, Ravi Shankar. He's a Pushcart Prize-winning poet and editor of more than 15 books and chapbooks of poetry. He's the founder of The Drunken Boat, one of the world's oldest electronic journals of the arts, You've seen his work in the New York Times, heard it on NPR, BBC, and the PBS NewsHour. He lives in the glorious state of Rhode Island, and no, he is not a sitarist. He is the poet and the editor, and we're going to be talking about a brand new work called Correctional. A really interesting story, a memoir by Ravi Shankar. Ravi, uh, how are you, my friend? Uh, doing well. It's a pleasure to be with you, Warner. Well, uh, pleased to have you here. Let's do this. Let's give our Lewis at Large listeners a little bit more of a background, and we will dive into correctional and the unique story that it is. But uh, again, you are a poet and also an editor. How does one become, so to speak, a professional poet? <laughs> it's a good question. You know, it's up there with philosopher, probably. And uh you know, I, I and I come from a South Asian family, so my my parents immigrated. And the memoir is a little bit about this from South India in the 1960s. And in uh, Indian culture, you know, uh, you're either a doctor, engineer, or lawyer, poet, somewhere between a uh, garbage collector and rodeo clown on the uh, totem pole of career preferences. So, uh, and I, I was quite good at engineering and science, but my love was always language. And uh, I actually, uh, as many people. Uh, probably can attest, had a great high school English teacher introduce me to some of the romantic poets, uh, some of the beat poets, uh, uh, Ginsburg and uh, Robert Lowell and Sylvia Plath, and, and I, I was hooked. And so while I told my parents I was going to study engineering at the University of Virginia, I actually, on the sly, switched my majors up and uh, started studying literature, and uh, I went from there. Wow. That, uh, so when they found that out, were they disappointed or were they excited about it? Yes, no, no, I, I wouldn't say excitement was the right word. There's still, you know, even after I've uh, worked as a professor and published many books, my father will still send me clippings for computer classes saying it's it's not too late to keep writing as a hobby. So, you know, they're, uh, they wanted me to be happy and follow my passions. But, of course, like any parents, they were nervous about uh, a job prospect. So, uh, yes, I can't quite say they were excited. Well, let's dive. Let's dive into correctional a memoir. I know this is a this is a difficult memory for you, but uh, one that's important. I think that we talk about, uh, and really, uh, what we're talking about here uh, is the many, not many. Well, at frequent times, you have been stopped and ultimately incarcerated uh, as as a re- simply being dark-skinned, and I know realize there's more to it than that, but again, give our listeners, if you would, a little bit of a setup here on how all of this started. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, like you said, Warner, I mean, I uh, was, uh, uh, after finishing my degree in, in New York, I, I got a job at a university in Connecticut, and tenured professor, homeowner, married, uh, had a, a daughter, still have a, a beautiful daughter, and 
uh, I was just on my way to New York for a literary event, and uh, on my way home, uh, this was back in uh, the, uh, uh, 2011, uh, where Mayor Bloomberg's stop and frisk policy was pretty pervasive, and I was just making a legal left turn with my cousin. I got stopped by a cop, and uh, I asked him what I was doing, and he uh, he said, oh, hold on, made me do a breathalyzer, all kinds of things, and he came up to me and said, oh, i got good news for you, you passed, bad news for you, there's an warrant out for your arrest. And I, I said, what? I had lived in the city at that point for, you know, four or five years, and had no clue what he was talking about, but as soon I was shoved up against the, the grates and put in cuffs, put into a paddy wagon, and Officer Murphy, who I can still see to this day, I can envision his visage, he turned to his partner and said, it's always a good day when you can bag a sand nigger. And that's the last wow. words I heard, last time I saw him, and then I went down to Central Booking, which I didn't realize. I'd lived in New York a long time before that, but right in Wall Street, underneath is one of the largest urban detention centers. And uh, that was kind of a holding cell. And so I spent, I didn't, get, well, didn't get a phone call. Um, my family was worried about me, and I spent 72 hours down in Central Booking. Turns out the warrant was for uh, a 5'6 white guy, uh, and I'm a 6'2 uh, South Asian, so uh, who lived in a similar address as me. And uh, it, the whole thing was meant to be thrown out. But when I got in front of the judge, the judge found out I was employed as a professor and said, oh, well, why does he have a public defender? He can come back and talk to me when he's hired an attorney. And so I had to come back to take care of it. And that was my very first, uh, you know, encounter with the criminal justice system. I would have no idea that later I would kind of find out even more. But uh, in that instant, being totally innocent, I went on NPR. I ended up suing the city and winning a small settlement, nothing life-changing, but a small settlement, and I found out that uh, the NYPD pays out millions, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in police misconduct and uh, racial profiling and other kinds of suits that they've been involved with over the years. Prior, prior to that particular incident, had you been, in the United States anyway, had you been ever a victim of what you felt was either discrimination or treated as a second-class citizen because of the color of your skin uh, and your ethnic orientation? Well, yeah, sure, Warner. I mean, I, I grew up in Northern Virginia. I was born in D.C., and so I'm just as American as, as the next person. But certainly uh, my, my parents brought over uh, the South Indian culture. I mean, I to this day regret the, the delicious lunches my mom used to make that I was embarrassed of and would dump out in the bush on my way to school because I knew I would be teased. And so, you know, I mean, I encountered uh, some of that growing up, but I have to say, I really, for for many years, felt quite comfortable. You know, I uh, did quite well in in college. And then after 9-11, things kind of shifted again. And I think that was the moment where, though India is nowhere near Afghanistan or Iran or Iraq, totally different government, culture, history, Nonetheless, uh, many of us with brown skin were painted with the same brush, and uh, it was really from from that moment that I experienced a kind of overt racism that I never really had growing up in America. Wow. So you end up, you're at the Hartford Correctional Center for 90 days. What? Were you thinking, what in the hell's just happened? What What's going on here? <laughs> well, yeah, so uh, just to kind of fast forward, after this happened, you know, I felt uh, aggrieved, but what I didn't realize is that subconsciously something in me had kind of altered. I, I grew paranoid when I see a, a police officer behind me on a highway. I just uh, subconsciously take an exit without even realizing I was doing it. 
I, I think I got a little bit more reckless and, uh, you know, I was probably drinking too much. And so I made these uh, uh, stupid decisions and uh, I actually got a DUI and then very stupidly I uh, was driving on a suspended license, and which violated the probation. And so as a result, I had to do 90 days at a Hartford Correctional State uh, Jail. It just so happened that this, this time coincided with a period where I was being promoted to full professor. I'd been an uh, excellent faculty man- member at a Central Connecticut State for uh, nearly 14 years, and um, this coincided with the time that I had to do these 90 days, which is really the crux of the story of this memoir. And absolutely not a story I ever imagined I would tell, uh, uh, definitely a difficult one, but you know, one that I, uh, that opened my eyes and that I learned a lot from. Wow. So all of a sudden, uh, you go from being, in essence, uh, law-abiding citizen to suddenly you're incarcerated, you have a DUI, and probably, I would think, in the eyes of the law, again, fair or not, yep, you see, he really does have a criminal streak in him. Uh, he not only has a suspended license, but he's also driving while he's intoxicated. The thing probably spiraled down pretty quickly for you from there, I would think. Well, absolutely. And it wasn't just that. It was that, you know, I, I lived in a, a small town in, in Connecticut. It's pretty sleepy there. Not much happens. And, uh, you know, one of the few faculty members of color. And also there's a certain uh, alliterative appeal, you know, poet and professor promoted while in prison. So really, once the media got a hold of it, they also shaped the narrative uh, in, in a particular way, which I would come to realize uh the, uh, the governor at the time had appointed the Board of Regents, who was meant to rubber stamp my promotion. Right. And so by uh, taking shots at me, they could make these political points against the governor. And so I, I, I kind of got caught up in some of that. But yes, I, you know, uh, and to tell you the truth, it was nothing like what I expected. I, w- I was shocked when my attorney said I hadn't hurt anyone. I'd done anything. It was, you know, I was waiting for a, a tow truck at a flat tire and a, a, poli- a state trooper stopped and that's how I got stopped for driving on a suspended license. And the 90 days I had to do, same amount of time that uh, that Stanford swimmer who raped an unconscious Janelle Miller had to do to do. And I, I, I count, count myself lucky because I had a very good attorney. And the thing that he was managed to do was stretch that 90 days out over about a year and a half, which I know I wouldn't have had happen if I was a public uh, had a public defender. But right. the uh, the downside of that was I, I wished I had done it all in one stretch because every time... And that was probably the, 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 this year is what this memoir is about. One of the most bizarre years of my life because I had to do 45 days at Hartford Correctional. And then I got out that summer and went, uh, got on a plane to teach my graduate students in Hong Kong. And I'm having drinks with the ambassador at the top of the Ritz Carlton. And then, uh, fly back and I have to do another two weeks in Hartford <laughs> Correctional. And, uh, and so it went. And, you know, each time you have to go in, you're processed. It's, it's humiliating. You have to spread your ass cheeks and cough and uh, put the prison hands on and get humiliated anew. And so that uh, multiple traumatization made me think, God, I wish I'd just got it all done in, the, in one go. He just joined us, uh, Lewis at large, uh, Warner Lewis from the Flight Tech, as always. I uh, got a good one going here with Ravi Shankar. Again, not the musician. Uh, he is a Pushcart Prize-winning poet. First time uh, on our air, and I'm pleased to have him here. He's the editor of more than 15 books and chat books on poetry. You have seen uh, his work in the New York Times. You've also heard him on NPR, BBC, PBS NewsHour, amongst others. And we're talking about a brand-new work called Correctional, uh, a 
memoir uh, about an extraordinary period in his life. So you're incarcerated. Uh, you take a break. You're having lunch at the, at the top of the Rich Carlton. Uh, you go back. I'm curious as to the reaction uh, of your professional teaching colleagues uh, and those in your personal friends and your circle, so to speak, of support. Uh, did they remain supportive or did they suddenly start to question what you were doing? Yeah, that uh, is a great question. And, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, going through what I did, it's a litmus test and, um, because people I was very close to really backed away and weren't there. And then other people I, I considered acquaintances stepped up in a in a really big way. Uh, certainly for my colleagues, there's, you know, the Germans have some great words that you can't translate into English. And uh, one of them is uh, schadenfreude, right? The Kind of the taking pleasure in someone else's misfortune. And I think uh, prior to that, I had... Uh, you know, been publishing really well and nominated for excellence in teaching awards and a very uh, public figure. And I, I felt that some of them felt, oh, I'm getting my just comeuppance. Uh, you know, some of them felt I was tainting the reputation of the university through my actions. Um, you know, a couple of them cared about my personal welfare and my family, and I'm still in touch with some of those people. But uh, when you live in a, also a small town and uh, right on the shoreline, and I was probably half the population of color. There was another guy I could occasionally see. So I was already pretty uh, well-known there. And when this happened, all of a sudden, it's the strangest thing. You uh, you feel like you're the center of attention and everyone's looking at you. And then when you look up, no one wants to meet your eyes. So uh, it, was, uh, it was a difficult period. And, you know, during this time, my marriage was also breaking up. And the, the memoirs is this reflection about how in the middle of this very successful life I could have taken a wrecking ball to my career, my family, my marriage, and ended up at Hartford Correctional, which I, just, I should say, incidentally, was nothing like I imagined. Uh, I thought I'd be in a little cell, uh, fearing for my life. I was really in a dorm with 60 other men, you know, on, on these bunk beds. And uh, uh, so my experience, uh, you know, is in perhaps in some ways atypical because it's a big court system. A little bit more kind of the, uh, well, as they would say, white-collar, sort of dormitory kind of uh, correctional institution where it's a little bit more like a dorm, maybe, versus that's, a jail. That's right. That's right. I mean, although, I mean, uh, your your movements, of course, are, are totally constrained. You can only go out to the, the rec yard for an hour a day or so. Uh, and, and that's where, you know, um, when I was there, I, I knew about the prison industrial complex theoretically. I'd read about it. You know the statistics. Experiencing it firsthand just really opened my eyes in a big way as to who we criminalize and how there's very little hope of rehabilitation in there. In fact, I came out of it thinking, you know what, I think that we're invested in some ways in having a broken criminal justice system. So the marriage dissolves. Uh, you resign from Central Connecticut State University. Share with our listeners, if you would. Uh, so what happens? What are your What are your next steps? And and how has life been for you since all of this happened? Yeah. So um, uh, you know when this all happened, and none of this affected my performance in the classroom. And I, I was lucky enough to have a union, and I, I probably could have stayed and fought for my my job. Uh, you know, as a tenured professor, and yet it had become so toxic there. And I ended up, uh, they offered me a settlement, which I decided to take, uh, and I, I resigned. And uh, I, uh, in that period, was really trying to rediscover myself. And so I, I did some teaching abroad. I was in Guangzhou, China for a while. 
And then I had the good fortune of getting this fellowship at the University of Sydney. And um, so I spent uh, the better part of uh, three, three years in, in Australia working on this memoir and getting my uh, doctorate, my Ph.D., and uh, gaining some perspective. I mean, one of the things that uh, when I was in there, I, I met many men I never would have encountered in my everyday life, and they shared intimate details of their their life and their predicament, and then they made me promise them. They said, you know, we told you these stories. You have a voice. We have no voice. No one's going to listen to us. Um, we want you to do something with these stories. And so that was really what I, I felt uh, I needed to do. Uh, I also felt like I needed to take back control of the narrative from these skewed articles in the Hartford Current and, and elsewhere. Uh, and uh, so that, that I really, in that period, was just immersed on. And also, you know, I was in, in, in therapy. I was working on my my personal growth. And so, I, I, you know, I mean, it, it turned out in some ways uh, that the, the worst time in my life uh, probably had some of the greatest blessings. In it. This seems almost sort of like a sort of a sophomoric question, but in, in some way, if you can encapsulate it, uh, how has how has this changed you, changed you not only at your core? Uh, has it changed the way you look not only at your own life, but also the society in which we live in? Uh, and if it has, uh, share with us some of those changes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think absolutely I have a new appreciation for, uh, you know, every moment of freedom that we have. Uh, and so um, the times that I spend with my family, all of that has been enriched. But on a, on a deeper level, I, I think uh, I, I wrote a, a little piece for the Marshall Project that said nothing uh, has made me feel more American than going to jail. And in some ways, I, I do think that. I, I feel like there is this whole uh, underside uh, that we don't really talk about. I mean, the U.S. incarcerates 25% of the world's prisoners, more than Iraq, North Korea, and China combined. And when you overlay that with the racial demographic, I mean, when I was there, 60 men that were around me, I would say 50, at least 50 were African-American or Latino. And uh, so it's incontestable. And what was heartbreaking to me was that uh, many of these men wanted to have a fresh start, wanted to improve. They were in, ingenious in many ways. I, I detail some of the things they built from scraps from the chow hall. And yet there, there was no real path. There was no rehabilitation. They weren't on the outside given the skills. And once they had a, a, a misdemeanor or, God forbid, a, a felony on their record, they, they really couldn't be hired. And the hole that it leaves in these families where there are parents now missing a mother or a father uh, it's it's the cycle that is perpetuating. And so um, while before I think I had knowledge and empathy, um, going through this has made me more of an activist in, in, in some ways. I'm, I'm trying to uh, initiate some criminal justice reform. I've been volunteering and doing workshops at uh, the York Correctional Institute and, and other places. And I, I, I think uh, people who I might not have really... Uh, connected with or noticed. I, I, I guess I, I feel like it has made me more compassionate and, you know what, a, a better educator, uh, which is it sounds kind of funny, but uh, when I was in there, I actually taught an illiterate inmate how to, to write, and I, I consider that one of my great pedagogical triumphs. And so, I, you know, I, I, I suppose certainly more humble as well. Uh, you know, you don't get knocked down like that in a public way without really... Uh, having to, to take stock of what's important. And I think I have a, a new sense of, of what I value after all of this. 
indeed. What a what a journey uh, it has been for you. Again, the work is called Correctional, a memoir uh, by award-winning poet and, and writer Ravi Shankar. Uh, a fascinating look back, an extraordinary period in his life, and one that probably will be used to hopefully fuel some change and, and maybe some alterations on how we look at things. Uh, sort of the good and the bad, so to speak. Uh, Ravi, before we get out of here, again, because of your you write so prolifically, where can people uh, find copies uh, of some of your past work and also, of course, pick up a copy of Correctional? Absolutely, yeah. So you can find me, uh, the website is poetravishankar.com, uh, and I'm uh, on Insta and Twitter uh, at Impurpler, E-M-P-U-R-P-L-E-R, uh, the book comes out with University of Wisconsin Press. You can pre-order on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles. And, you know, I, I think what's maybe a little unique about this story is I'm someone who's both benefited from privilege and also uh, faced discrimination. And so I think I'm right on that uh, equilibrium in some ways. And so uh, uh, I think the story is, is meaningful. And uh, I, I certainly hope people can read it and also not just uh, take it in passively, but try to actively make a change in their community. Well, we appreciate, we know this is obviously decidedly and highly personal, and we appreciate uh, the candor in which you've shared this information and your story, and best of luck to you. And uh, down the road, uh, please come back and be on our air again. Absolutely, Warner. It's a pleasure. Take care, everyone. You bet. We will be back with more right after this on Lewis at Large. Robbie, thank you so much. All right. Take care. Really appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this installment of Lewis at Large. We add new conversations every week, and we like hearing from you. You can contact us via email at warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. That's warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. And you can find out more at lewisatlarge.com or on the Lewis at Large Facebook page. And remember to subscribe to Lewis at Large. Check out Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. Now go have a great day.